Coffee Break, the advice podcast for teachers, brought to you by UEA. Welcome to Coffee Break, the higher education advice podcast from UEA. So this month we have got a special episode all about medicine. So it's slightly longer than the usual 20 minutes, but that's just because it's all really relevant and we didn't want to cut anything out. Uh, We're joined by colleagues from the Norwich Medical School um, and they run through information about the medicine course here at UEA teaching methods, the admissions process, including the grades that we look for, um, how to get prepared for the UCAT interviews, and then what happens when students have received their offers. Yeah, absolutely. And the episode includes lots of really good top tips to help you help your students to get prepared for both their application um, to medicine, um, but also what can they expect from the course itself if they were to get an offer. Hi Sue. Hello. And um, Sue, can you just tell everybody what your job role is? Yeah, I'm the admissions director in the School of Medicine, so I oversee all of our admissions policy. Brilliant. And we've also got Sally Homden. And Sally, what is your role? Um, I'm lecturer in medicine on the foundation year um, medicine, and I'm the widening participation academic officer. So I work with um, predominantly secondary and sixth formers in getting into medicine. What can students um, expect when they do a medicine course? Um, Well, I can take that um, to start with. So our medical course uh, is fairly standard, like um, uh, most medical schools across the um, UK, in that we run a five-year programme. It's an MBBS. Our course is specifically an integrated programme. So that means that um, basic sciences and um, clinical placements are integrated throughout the course. So unlike some medical schools, we... um, Our students will start clinical placement in week seven and they spend nine weeks in secondary care in year one and that gradually increases. So um, a student studying medicine would expect to be studying for five years, some courses are six years and it's very much a progression through. So by the time they qualify, they will go into a foundation programme, which once they complete, they get full GMC registration. Sounds fantastic. And is there any other opportunities you said about um, doing a six-year course? What kind of opportunities can you get involved with on the course? Yeah, so um, as I said, most medical programmes for the sort of uh, standard school leaver are five years. What we do offer and what most medical schools encourage is for students to do an intercalated degree, either at the end of year three or the end of year four. That gives them an opportunity to study a specific area in more detail. So, for example, at UEA, we offer um, a master's in clinical education. We do molecular medicine, neuroscience. So really for those thinking about um, specialising in certain areas, other students go external and other medical schools offer a huge range of intercalated degrees. And this can really help them with their long-term career plans or just study a degree that they're, they're really interested in. So there tends to be those two options at the moment. Um, alternatively, we also run a six-year course with a foundation programme that um, I shall let Sally talk a little bit more about, if that's OK. Yeah, absolutely. So that um, year is getting them... So they are likely to have come in with B grades at A-level. Um, so it's going more into the sciences, so they cover biology... Um, chemistry and maths 
alongside a medicine module where they'll do PBL. So we've at the, currently with the 30, we've got three PBL groups running um, and they'll do PBL alongside that as well. So they will get their sciences up to a level that's needed to go into progression to year one um, alongside doing some med um, studies too. They will also get the opportunity to do HCA placement in the foundation year. So they do three days working as a healthcare assistant. And also this year, they, they'll all do a GP placement as well, working three days in a GP on the foundation year. Um, Sue, I have a couple of questions just on the back of what you were talking about with the inter intercalation with the masters. Is there any particular benefits of doing that? Because I was speaking to some ambassadors last month at one of our UCAS fairs who were studying medicine, and they were talking about the points system and what happens um, after graduation and getting placements and things. Yeah, so um, so essentially we really encourage students to do an intercalation if they have a real desire to do extra study. So um, it is a really good way of developing an, an area of interest. However, when you come to apply for your foundation programme during year five of your um, medical degree, what, the way that um, you're placed in your foundation programme, it's calculated on a variety of things but you get points for different areas and you can also get up to five points through doing a master's degree so if you do a BSc and get a first class degree or a master's you get five points and there's a sort of sliding scale now um, that tends to be important for those um, graduates who are thinking of working in more some of the more competitive NHS trusts so for example working in some of the London teaching hospitals we know that's a very popular um, place for um, junior doctors so if that's something that you have a real passion and you know you want to do then we would certainly recommend to students to do that intercalated degree we know it's not for everybody and we don't want to feel that students are somehow disadvantaged from not doing it but certainly um, some students feel it's a, it's a real benefit and also then when you look at your postgraduate training so if you want to become say a surgeon or work in a certain speciality again you can get an extra few points when you're allocated your training program if you have an intercalated degree mm -hmm. so it does provide lots of different benefits as well as the knowledge um, and expertise that you gain through that study so so absolutely students are very aware of it uh, and we very much support students throughout that process of applying for the financial arrangements whether they want to go externally or stay with us at UEA we have lots of systems in place to support that um, process yeah, it sounds fantastic. Um, that's wonderful. Great, thank you. So you talked a little bit about GP placements. Can you explain a bit more about that, how students are placed and where they're likely to do their work experience at university? Yeah, so as you would imagine, um, clinical placements are, are key to our students' success and that's something that is quite unique to our course. So all of our students will do GP placements from week one and um, students will typically spend one day a week with our GP colleagues and that very much brings together the, the learning that they cover throughout the week. So for example, if they're doing a subject around rheumatoid arthritis, then the GP will bring in patients that have that particular condition and students have an opportunity to go through their medical records, take a medical history, examine them. So it really pulls together all of the theory and um, the learning around the clinical context. Um, alongside that, 
they, um, students then go into secondary care placements. And as I said, our course students do go into secondary care in year one, and they will spend nine weeks in secondary care. All of these placements are arranged by ourselves. So we have um, our clear, um, clinical partners across the region um, within Norwich, Great Yarmouth, Kings Lynn and Ipswich. And students will rotate around these clinical areas. So it's very much that, uh, that we organise them. Students do have an opportunity to do a, an elective at the end of year four. And students can go abroad for that. Some stay um, within the UK. But it's a real opportunity to go and experience a completely different healthcare setting. And then again, at the end of year five, students have an opportunity to go um, across the UK and do um, their sort of final placement, as it were, in any trust that they wish to, or they can stay locally. Uh, yeah, thanks for that, Sue. So it sounds like a really practical course right from the beginning, which is amazing. Um, so students are doing placements right from the first week, you said, which is fantastic. And um, that is why students can't transfer onto our medicine course from the third year or from the second year. Sometimes we, me and Megan get asked when we're out in schools if students can do biomedicine and then move on to our medicine course, which we don't allow, and that's because they start placements right from the first year, so they would miss a lot. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Great. So alongside their placements, um, what are they doing in terms of the learning and the teaching on our course? Yeah, so um, we are a problem-based learning course and as I mentioned, we start GP placements for week one. So a typical campus week, students will spend one day a week in um, the GP placement and they will spend half a day doing problem-based learning. Um, but what's really central to all of um, the campus teaching is the small group teaching that we do. So students typically work in groups of 10 um, and they will do their problem-based learning, their consultation skills, their human dissection all in this same group as well as doing larger traditional lectures um, and that's really important because there's a very much a strong peer support group also they work very closely with um, tutors so tutors get to know them very quickly and we're very e it's very easy to see if students aren't attending or maybe they're not keeping up with their work so it, it provides sort of a two-way thing really both in terms of the students and what they're learning but also from us from an academic perspective making sure everyone's on track the problem-based learning sessions, as I said, we um, spend um, three to four hours a week on problem-based learning. And what happens is students are given a case to discuss, and it's very much um, on the theme that they're learning in the week. So if we use the rheumatoid arthritis um, example, what will happen is students are given a case. Typically, a patient will present to the doctor, maybe in primary care or secondary care, with a variety of symptoms. And students then have to work in a group to try and work through what their actual um, problem is. Students are then given learning outcomes, which they have to then go and research on their own. They post up the work onto, um, we have a virtual learning environment, as most universities do, and then they come back the following week and they will present on their learning outcome and relate it back to the case study. So again, it's really trying to integrate the theory and the clinical application and really developing their clinical reasoning skills and their decision making as well. And just to confirm, Sue, when you're talking about these small groups, that is just other med students, that's right? Yeah, absolutely. So typically groups of 10, and that's how we sort of have structured the course from the beginning. So whilst we have over 200 students in a year now, um, they will still be very much in small group teaching groups of 10. And within that group of 10, they've always got an academic or a clinician 
collaboration with them who works as a facilitator. Great. So they are mixed up with other med students to do their problem-based learning, but we also do the interdisciplinary learning on, on the UEA course, is that right? Yes, yeah. we do. And that's where they are mixed with other health yeah, so so what we um, so again central to all health and medical medical courses is the the realization that um, it's really important that students get to work with other um, healthcare professionals and medical professionals, very much reflecting the real world NHS environment. So again, from year one, we do a variety of activities where students work with, say, nurses, physio students, speech and language therapy students, social workers, occupational therapists. Um, and, and again, it progresses throughout the, the years. So to begin with, it's very much learning about a subject such as dementia and understanding how the interdisciplinary team works with people with dementia right the way through to the end of sort of year four, year five, where they um, replicate clinical scenarios. So for example, um, working, uh, simulating an a &E handover, so they'll, our medical students working with the paramedic students, with the nursing students, to really simulate how that works. So again, when they're out in the clinical um, environment, they've already experienced it. So they sort of understand a little bit about how it works. So they're just much better prepared for practice for yeah. when it really happens. Sounds like great experience to actually prepare them working in hospitals and yeah. healthcare environments. And Sally, you work on the foundation year or the gateway year, as we're now um, calling it. So what kind of teaching methods do they do on that year? Is it very much the same or a little bit different? It's different in that the science, they'll be doing some biology labs, chemistry, mm -hmm. maths, that side of it, which is based in the science school. Um, the medical side of it, they will do PBL. So again, they're in groups of 10 and we do problem-based learning. So each week we look at a different case study. They also do um, their own study, so SSS where they can go off and pick a topic, a theme, and then they'll work on that and research that for so many months also, and then they have to do a presentation. That's very much part of the med degree, so it's getting them used to that format. They'll have lectures um, for some of the subjects as well. The med-specific, alongside problem-based learning, so they'll do um, PBL with us, and the following day, they'll then have a lecture on that topic. So, for example, the case study might be around diabetes, mm -hmm. and then they'll have a lecture the next day um, around diabetes and how that works, so that they then go off, as Sue said, they'll have a learning outcome from the PBL session. They'll go off, specifically research that um, learning outcome, and then next week they'll come back and they'll each present that the first half of PBL, and then we'll go into the next topic for the following week. So it is very much getting them used to how PBL works, how lectures work also, how they have to present work also, which will get them ready for um, year one when they, when they progress on to that year. You've made it this far. Why not subscribe to our podcast? That's great. So we've talked a lot about um, the courses, how they're taught and so on, which is really fantastic. So Sue, can I ask you um, how do students apply um, and what do they kind of need to get on the course? Yeah, and I think this is where we get lots and lots of questions because I, whilst um, there's more information out there in the public domain, all medical schools do things very, very slightly differently, so it's always really, really important to look at each medical school. But certainly from um, UEA's perspective, 
what um, obviously all students apply by the 15th of October and that's how um, the, the sort of date has been set for several years now. Um, when we get our applications, the first thing that we look for is the GCSE requirements that students, and um, we expect students to have. We ask for six A's or grade sevens in specific subjects. Other medical schools will look for something slightly different. So again, that's why we always recommend to look at the small print. Um, and we also look at um, applicants' predicted A-level grades. We ask that students have three A-levels um, that they take in um, one sitting, and that must include at least biology, human biology, or chemistry, and two others. So again, we're slightly unusual in the sense that um, we don't ask for two or three sciences, but we do ask that they have biology or chemistry. Now, if students meet our academic requirements, then they will be um, invited to interview if we have enough spaces. It, it varies year on year, but that's our general sort of advice at the moment. We also ask our students to take the UCAT. It used to be known as the UK CAT, but it's just recently changed. And um, that's an online aptitude test. And again, I think what's really important with the um, UCAT is to um, look at each um, medical school's, um, what, how they use the UCAT. So for example, the way that we use the UCAT is we use it at the point of offer. So we will combine it with the interview score um, to give to rank our students and then make an offer. So we don't have a minimum cutoff score. So some medical schools will have a minimum cutoff score. Um, some medical schools will look at the SJT component, and if students score four in the SJT component, they may not invite them to interview. Again, we don't do that, but we do look at it post-interview. So I think it's really, really important that everybody looks at that. So that's very much um, how we sort of um, process our applications. We look at personal statements at um, interview, and we ask students to discuss them at the interview process. Again, we do read them for any sort of extenuating circumstances, but we don't score them um, as some medical schools will score the, the personal statement. So again, whilst we all look at the, the sort of different elements, we all look at them in slightly different ways. So as I said, I think it is just so key that when students come to apply to their medical school and therefore choices, they really have done their research and make sure they meet the minimum entry, um, minimum requirements for all the different medical schools. Thank you. So you mentioned the UCAT and students um, will have this as part of their admissions. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it and how students can get prepared to take the UCAT? Yeah, so the UCAT is an aptitude test that students take online and actually it's um, administered at driving test centres, so where they go and do their theory tests, that's where it's run. So um, the UCAT has a fantastic website, so you can go on there and you have to register. Now, it's really important that students take the UCAT the year that they're applying to medicine. So they must take it in the summer before they apply in the October. And unfortunately, the UCAT, because the scores do change slightly every year, 
um, even if a student is reapplying they're not able to carry over their UCAT score so they have to take it each year they're applying because again that's one of the questions that we do get asked a lot um, so typically you can start registering um, for it from the 1st of May you can book online and you can book to take your test anywhere between the beginning of July right the way through until um, the beginning of October so there's plenty of time for students to prepare um, and find a date that suits them and as I said it's it's undertaken at your local driving test centre so it tends to be um, pretty accessible in that sense. Now because um, the UCAT is an aptitude test you can't revise for it in the sense like the um, BMAT um, which is um, another admissions test that say Cambridge and Oxford often ask for which is much more a knowledge-based test the UCAT is an aptitude test, so it's very much about how you think, how you process information. However, saying that, there is definitely a practice element there because it's timed and you have to get the sort of skill of reading the questions quite quickly and answering them quite quickly. So we always recommend students do spend time practicing the test. Now on the UCAT website they've got lots and lots of past papers, lots of opportunities to practice so you can do that in the comfort of your home. There are lots of courses out there where you know you can pay and go on courses to prepare. You don't need to go on a course to prepare for it. There are lots of resources on the UCAT website and certainly we would recommend that students spend their sort of time doing that because obviously we appreciate that applying for medicine is quite complex as it is and we don't want students to feel that they've got additional um, uh, money to you know they have to spend more money than than is needed so um, the other thing to say about the UCAT you can also um, apply for additional um, time so if you do have um, a special needs where, or a disability where you do need um, extra time you can apply for it online equally um, if you come from a particular um, background you can also apply for a bursary so that you get the um, the test paid for so there's there's lots of things to look into um, that it, so it is well worth researching way before you actually sort of take the test great thank you so much so you mentioned that the BMAT and UCAT are slightly different um, so um, do universities have um, preference over one or the other yeah, so um, most medical schools will ask for um, a, an additional admissions test to A-levels. And it typically is either the UCAT or the BMAT. So the BMAT is the biomedical admissions test. And it is quite different from the UCAT. So whereas the UCAT is undertaken at a driving test centre, it's online and it's an aptitude test. The BMAT is a traditional two-hour pen-to-paper exam and students often compare it much more to a sort of traditional A-level paper. And the reason for that is it, it's split into three sections, but one of the sections very much tests your science knowledge, so your physics, chemistry, biology and maths. So you do have to revise for the BMAT, and it's really important that students understand that. The other difference is with the UCAT, you get your score immediately afterwards, so you will get a printed um, result of how you've scored the BMAT because it is much more like a pen to paper traditional A-level type of paper you have to wait a while for your results so you won't know how you do until um, a while after the test also um, 
the BMAT, there's far fewer dates in terms of when you can sit them. Again, they've got a very good website. They will tell you where the test centres are. Traditionally, where you go and take your BMAT is a sort of local school that's registered to run the BMAT. So, for example, at UEA, there's a couple of places in Norwich where you can go and do it. So it, it, it just takes a bit more research to make sure that you're fully prepared for that particular test. Coffee Break, the advice podcast for teachers, brought to you by UEA. Okay, so Sally, can you run through some of the tips for the interview stage? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There is a key resource which is really useful for teachers and students that has been put together by the Medical School Council. Um, They have a bank of fact sheets on every element of the application process, which are really useful things like personal statement, what fifth choice looks like, difference between traditional med schools, PBL, um, skills that are looked for. So that's a really good link that we can um, give out as well to to schools and um, students to use. One of them that's particularly useful is one about what um, med schools want to see from students. So it's about, for interview prep, getting across the key... um, demonstration of the key skills that are needed, things like motivation, why do they want to do medicine, um, insight into their own strengths and weaknesses, being organised, reflection, problem solving, obviously academic ability is that A-level um, application process and the UCAT or BMAT for other med schools. Honesty, ability to be responsible, taking initiative, um, communication is fundamental, how, how we communicate, teamwork empathy and ability so all of those things um, need to be demonstrated obviously in the personal statements as well mm-hmm. um, and then linking into the, it'll be brought out more at interview stage so work experience can be really useful um, what I kind think, of things do you look for, for from work experience wise we know, we know that it's really difficult under 18 mm. to get specific health experience but there are opportunities so for example, our three local hospitals have volunteering pages on their websites. Oh, so you can, yeah. can look at those to ask for volunteering opportunities. Things like care homes will always want volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, charity shops, and particularly health charity shops like Age UK, Heart Foundation might be really useful because you might get to use to meet people that have been um, supporting people with conditions or actually have conditions themselves. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about showing skills, demonstration. Those are all... Um, public-facing, dealing with people, communicating with people, which are really important to show. If they can't get any house-specific experience, working in retail, working in um, hospitality, where they're meeting people, you can still demonstrate those transferable skills that are core, um, just not health-related. One of the key things is researching. Have they really researched the profession? Do they know what they're letting themselves in for? So, you know, absolutely. Do they, have they looked at websites? Have Mm. they looked at that university's website to really see how the courses run? What do you study as a med student? Um, That knowledge is really important. A basic question you're going to be asked is, why do you want to do medicine? You know, that passion, Mm. motivation um, needs to come across, be it in your personal statement or, you know, maybe asked at interview stage as well. So those things are important. Um, general tips about interview listening to. So there will be a, for, for us, it's multi-mini interviews. Um, so we have six stations and there are five minutes at each of those stations. So that's six different interviewers. 
So at each station, it's really important that the candidates listen to what's being asked and answer that question effectively. Um, bringing in some really good examples. So having a bank of good examples before mm. your interview is really important. Really think about all the core skills. Think about the NHS values as well. Um, I always recommend that they list all of those. So list the core skills. Like I said, the Med School Council um, leaflet on what makes a good doctor is brilliant. And alongside those in the NHS values, really trying to get across what examples they've got that they can bring out in an interview. It's not to list any of those things. It's mm. to demonstrate I've got those skills in empathy and I, can, and I, and and show I showed those yeah. in a particular example. It could be something they've done at school. They might be a member of a sports team, a club. Mm. It could be a prefect. It could be something from primary. It could be scouts, guides, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, volunteering, you know, some do St John's Ambulance, for example. So it can be any of those things where they can demonstrate those skills. Um, and I think the the multiple mini interviews is quite a good way of doing it, um, especially because they'll be in a different room with each different interviewer. So if one of them goes slightly wrong or they don't feel like they've answered it in the best way, they've kind of got a clean slate every time they go into the next room, haven't they? Which absolutely. Is great. Yeah. The thing I stress with interviews is that you're going to be nervous because that's normal that mm. people are nervous. It shows that you're that you care about the process that you're going through. Um, but you're absolutely right. From the first station, you might be more nervous than you are at station three or four and as you gain in confidence. But that first person only saw that one five minutes with you. Mm. Um, the other thing to expect at interviews is that it might be service users. So what we mean by that is somebody that's a patient or has experienced the NHS. They might be one of the interviewers. And obviously they've got first-hand experience of what they'd like to see in a potential um, medical student. So really getting across those skills is, is key. And um, they get to see the question, don't they, before they go into each room? Yeah, they get a minute and a half to Mm. prepare. So they'll be sat outside the station um, and they will get a minute and a half to to read through what's relevant for that station before they go in. That's great. So they they get to kind of think, formulate their answer a little bit before they even start. That's really good. Yeah, so it is a nice way of interviewing. Great. So we've run through a lot of the application process. So students do their UK CAT in the summer before they apply then by the October 15th deadline they apply for the four med schools then they get invited back to an interview what happens after that yeah so um certainly the the strategy that we have at UEA is that we um interview all of our um candidates before we make offers so we make that very clear at the beginning because often You know, if we're interviewing students at the beginning of December, but we know we won't be making offers until the end of February, we want to say to students uh, and to candidates, don't panic if you haven't heard. That doesn't mean you haven't been successful. It just means that we're still interviewing because, as I said, we have over 200 places, so that's a lot of interviews Mm. that we have to go through. So we interview all of our candidates. Um, we then rank based on a combination of their UK CAT or their UCAT, sorry, and their interview score. And then depending on um, various factors, we will then make offers to the top, say, 500. Um, they will then receive an offer. If they receive an offer, we will then um, invite them to what we call a post-offer visit day, typically um, the second to last weekend in March um, and that's a big day or a Saturday and students will have an opportunity to do PBL, they do clinical skills, they have tours of the campus, the accommodation, they get to meet academic staff, they get to meet other offer holders. So that's really part of their sort of 
deciding whether they're going to come to UEA and make that final commitment. So um, we do that. All students have to make their decision by the 1st of May in terms of who they put as their firm choice and who is their insurance. Then, obviously, what happens come August time, the universities, we get the A-level results about um, the Friday before they're released to the A-level students. So we will then, um, we have all of the A-level results, and then we will allocate places based on A-level results. Um, and then, obviously, on the Thursday when students get their results, they will then um, find out whether they've been successful or not. We do also ask students... Um, to undertake a DBS and an occupational health clearance as well. That's a core part of our offer, and all medical schools are exactly the same because obviously students are going on to clinical placement, working with in a healthcare setting, working with vulnerable people. So we need to make sure that we comply with NHS trust and policy as mm -hmm. well. So as long as all of that is done, then students will come and join us. Sounds great. I love the idea of the post-offer day. That sounds like a fantastic opportunity to come back and really kind of get some hands-on experience like trying the PBL and clinical stuff and then seeing the campus and getting a feel for what it would be like to study here and then hopefully they would choose to come and um, that's great right so we've gone through all of the different kind of admissions processes and talked about the courses and um, I'd like to just finish off the episode and um, if you could what are the main three benefits of studying medicine at UEA? Yeah, I think um, one of the sort of metrics that we look at quite carefully is that the General Medical Council, which is our sort of governing body, if you like, um, they undertake a survey with all new graduates about how well prepared they are for their first um, clinical post as an F1. And we know that's a really important time for um, doctors as they make that transition into the work environment. And consistently over the past three years, we've been ranked number one out of all of the medical schools. So our graduates are the best prepared. Mm. And I think that really comes back to the fact that we start our clinical placements so early, you know, and it is integrated throughout the whole course. Um, some students say it's quite frightening, but it really pushes them, and we increase that exposure throughout the five years. So by the time the students are in the fifth year, their clinical placements are pretty much working, shadowing um, an F1, and really getting prepared for their first um, post. Mm -hmm. So that, that's really, really essential for us. And I think the other thing that, um, again, we're really proud of and comes through is the fact that... Um, we do small group teaching again from day one. So whilst we are quite a big medical school now, students are not lost. They get to know their PBL tutor, their GP tutor. If a student's even slightly late for a class, we immediately can pick that up. Mm. So we're able to really engage and monitor their progress. It's not a case that we wait until they have an assessment that you know we can sort of see that there may be an issue so I think again that really helps and we, we were very proud of our NSS this year that was 98 percent so those sort of satisfaction yeah. 98 percent that's really high. so again all of these things are sort of coming together to really sort of make us feel confident that, that what we are doing the way that we have designed our course really does help prepare students and, and doctors for the 21st century mm. Which is the aim of the absolutely, the whole absolutely. You know, yeah. the, the our graduates will be treating us so well. Um, <laughs> it's always in the back of our mind. Brilliant. Well, thank you both for coming in. It's been great to have you. I think this is a really fantastic episode, and we can't wait to share it with everyone. So, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed that episode. Join us next month for more information about UEA and higher education. Um, Just to note, our next episode will be a little bit later in the month because we're going to be doing some live recordings at our teachers conference, which is on the 6th and 7th of June. So the podcast will go live the following week.